Hello, and welcome to the Blog to Who cast. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Blog to Who cast. We are back because we have new Doctor Who to talk about. So joining me, Bedwick Gulledge, is my co-host, Susan Hewitt. Hello, how are you doing? We're glad to be back. <laughs> glad to be back because we have new Doctor Who to talk about. Oh, most definitely new Doctor Who to talk about. So, the woman who fell to Earth. Susan, what were your overall opinions? Obviously, we'll break as much of it down as we can, but what were your overall impressions of the episode? I thought it was a good introductory episode. I mean, it is the first episode coming back and we had an awful lot of people to introduce. We had new music and a whole bunch of new changes, but a lot of it was very much the same. And I was glad to see the doctor back and I thought Jodie fit into her role perfectly. And I really enjoyed the companions, Ryan, Graham and and Yasmin, as much as we saw of them. Uh, I'm expecting to see a lot more. I love the Sheffield pictures, but I thought it was a good start for the first new episode, first new showrunner and a first new Doctor. So thumbs up from Susan. Um, I was left slightly underwhelmed by it. And obviously we're going to break everything down and go into more detail. But overall, my expectation was of something that was going to be a bit more different. And I wasn't expecting it to feel like Doctor Who. <laughs> what did it feel like? And it did, I know that's a, that's a terrible criticism. It's It was an episode of Doctor Who that felt like Doctor Who, but it caught me <laughs> off guard because I wasn't expecting it. I'll have to put that down as a quote. It was a Doctor Who episode that felt like Doctor Who. <laughs> Obviously, we've had quite a long build-up and snippets of information and trailers and yeah, some very impressive, iconic images uh, as part of the publicity. So I don't know what I was expecting, but it was Doctor Who. It had a doctor, a post-regenerative Doctor who's trying to learn who she now is. It had some standard monsters. It had a good Earth setting. It It was just Doctor Who. But every character in it was different and all of them I really liked and wanted to spend more time with. They were certainly aware of all the controversy of changing the uh, the gender of the Doctor and I think they wanted to make everyone feel comfortable and at home as well as putting in the new pieces. So I think they did an excellent job. It certainly has a different look and feel to it though. I mean uh, the filming was different and the music was definitely different and the characters, I thought, were a little bit more realistic this time. If we start off with some of the characters, because we are first introduced to Ryan Sinclair, played by uh, Tosin Cole. I mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, and then we have his nan, Grace, played by Sharon D. Clark, and Graham, played by Bradley Walsh. And that opening minute, two minutes, whatever, the, the first couple of scenes with... Uh, with those three 
was just so lovely. It was a really nice, easy way into a story. It introduced those characters. You got a feel for each of them. And I started to really care about each and every one of them. Uh, Tosin's character, Ryan, has has a disability, uh, but it wasn't overly pr- portrayed or, or, or um, stomped on or anything like that. It was it was just there. And but the the genuine caring between all three of the characters was was obvious, obvious. And it was very realistic. I mean, uh, Ryan's not completely accepting of his his granddad or shall we say Graham um, and I loved Grace I mean I've loved Grace all the way through the episode um, so we can talk about that further but she was Sharon D Clark was just stunning uh, you mentioned obviously uh, Ryan has dyspraxia mm-hmm. but that isn't actually mentioned Sharon mentions to the doctor I think that he has dyspraxia yes it's it's obviously you know Ryan has some sort of uh, issue, but it's not. A, it doesn't even warrant mentioning. But the crucial thing is him trying to learn to ride a bike. Just made you really fall for those characters and the care that Graham and Grace had for Ryan. You know Ryan's frustrations and not being able to do it. Frankly, he's not likely to do it if he's on grass because. You know, anyone who's tried to ride a bike on grass, it's not the easiest surface on which to gain traction with your wheels. So, but at least it was soft when he fell off, I suppose. <laughs> but you could you could feel his frustration when he couldn't do it, and uh, and I was hooked into into those three characters straight away. Yes, well, I mean that it was certainly something personal uh, to Chris Chipnell um, because it, as uh, it's not in the original Q and A that I wrote up because I, I felt it was a spoiler to say that that character had dyspraxia, but um, it is um, I think it was his godson. I'm just trying to look that up right now, but it's certainly something that he has familiarity with, uh, and mind you, does show does uh, Sharon D. Clarks has familiarity with dyspraxia as well because she was part of Trifu Tom. I don't know if you're aware of that. I believe Sophie Aldred did voice work on Trifu Tom. And so did David Tennant. And David Tennant, yes, of course. And um, Richard uh, Denick uh, did some writing for it as well. That show was about dyspraxia, you know, doing moves so that the kids can learn and and uh, compensate for some of their problems in terms of their movement. And, and uh, uh, so it's something uh, around and familiar. And I thought they handled it in an appropriate manner. It wouldn't have come up um, unless there was a need for it. And uh, certainly the riding of the bike was a good way of bringing that out. And I think that's something that Chris Chivnall has a talent for. Certainly it was in Broadchurch and some of the other stuff that he's written. Yeah, and it neatly leads you into him discovering the ship or whatever the uh, the alien pot is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the purple thing. <laughs> <laughs> the purple thing. Uh, because obviously he throws his bike and that helps him, you know, see the uh, flashes in in the in the forest and uh, brings the ship into into our world, etc. Um, but it was yeah, it's a nice lead in to the main plot, I suppose. And then we get introduced to Yasmin Khan, 
who is uh, another companion as a police officer, but this is she's an actual police officer this time, and she's she's one of those companions who's after that little bit more. She's she's classic in the way that there's there's more for her to do she feels more capable than she's being allowed to in in her job role and uh meeting the doctor in in this adventure certainly went to prove that she was more than capable what did you make of yaz um i I didn't think there was enough of her in the episode but i can understand that because it was really uh, about the family um which was graham uh grace and, and and ryan I loved her, 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 I hate the word spunk, um, but (laughs) (laughs) that's such a seventies word, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I loved her drive to get something to, to achieve more, to, 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 to do more. Um, and I, I got the feeling that she's going to be a a very driving force in, in going forward. The person that's always going to take that next step, that next adventure. Because if you take Graham and you take Ryan, they're both a little bit reticent in, in terms of trying something new. Whereas you need a driving companion. And I, I, I can definitely see that Yaz um, and Mandate Gill uh, are going to fit in that role. So that is seems to be her her, her lot on the TARDIS, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and uh, we then... Uh, her and Ryan join the stopped train and she starts to take the lead but then is quickly <laughs> put in her place <laughs> put, put in her place by a, by a woman falling at, falling through the roof um but yeah go I mean Yaz I, re- I really liked her character and I thought uh Mandip Gill was uh was was wonderful and I look forward to seeing a lot more of her I think you're right in that it's it was an episode where you had to introduce her character but the main focus was largely on the doctor but then to a certain extent Ryan Graham and Grace was was the central uh trio in in the story yeah uh, most definitely and um that that's about my only kind of question is do we have too many people in the TARDIS and and certainly with this episode we almost had four we had four companions uh, I would say that Grace is <laughs> was a companion in this one. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah, Grace and uh, was was. Uh, I wish she <laughs> was still on the TARDIS. She would have been brilliant. Um, but um, but essentially, um, that's that's who it was focused on. Um, their role together, and obviously Grace's death um, as as it, it goes further. And by the way, this is a spoiler review. <laughs> Oh yeah, we poss- possibly should have mentioned that, but frankly, we've all been waiting long enough to watch watch the episode. If you've not seen the episode, then um, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> if you're coming to listen to this first, obviously we had our first proper look at Jodie as the Doctor. What did you think, Susan? I think uh, she was pretty pretty strong. She was pretty strong. I know there's been a lot of set, thoughts said that she never looked at the previous doctors, but if you go and have a look at the radio time, she does say she actually s- sneaked in looking on the internet so to know about the other doctors. I couldn't believe an actress would be an actor would be going into a role without <laughs> seeing the previous ones either. Um, so anyway, um, 
she definitely, she seemed to have that kind of like stance, uh, certainly on the hill and a couple of points where uh, tenants, you know, stands there with his, his hands in his pocket looking, I don't know, severe or whatever the look was. The smile definitely felt like Tom, Tom Baker's, but she was uh, on a whirling dervish like uh, Matt Smith. But she was definitely um, finding her, her own doctor and she's completely, um, she's completely in the part at, at the time the episode was over. Um, I thought she was perfect for it. Yeah, she has that energy of a David Tennant, but that quirky sort of uh, giraffe on ice, I think it was once described, of, uh, <laughs> of a Matt Smith, you know. Yeah. Just that sort of slightly uncoordinated, but due to over-enthusiasm over sort of performance. And apart from Yaz calling her uh, mom and her reacting to, oh, I'm a, wo- I'm a woman now. That's it. That was that was the only reference to her being a woman. She just, from that point, she just played the doctor. Yeah. And yeah, she was she was great. Um, not hundred percent sold on on the accent. It's it's the lots of planets have have a north <laughs> argument, isn't it? So, uh, personally, it'll just take me a little bit to get my ears tuned to her accent. That's all. Well, it's, it's, she's just the wrong side of the Pennines for me. Um, my family's from near Manchester, just outside, so uh, I have no problem with the Yorkshire accent. So I guess it, it just sort of sounds relatively normal to me. Um, but I do realize some that have a great deal of. Um, a uh, harder time picking it up, and it's certainly the the series based on the the Q and A with Chibnall uh, is going to be based out of Sheffield, so it's not a London based thing. But you have to consider the fact that both Chibnall and uh, Whitaker are both from the north, so uh, I think they wanted to, <laughs> to make sure that uh, um, people knew that uh, uh, certain countries have a north as well too. Yeah, uh, I think personally for me, it's just about tuning tuning my ears into to her accent. That's all. Um, uh, let's let's mention Sheffield, obviously, because the episode is set entirely in Sheffield. Yeah, I mean, for the purposes of the story, it could have really been any town on earth, feasibly. But it's nice that it's not London again. Um, I, I think I had a Big Bang Theory episode on this weekend one of the characters comments on whilst they're watching Doctor Who that even for a, a time-travelling alien, he has a fondness for for modern-day London, you know. And Cardiff was getting to that point as well, although, you know, we didn't have too many stories set in Cardiff. It, there was certainly a Cardiff feel because that's where the show was filmed, you know. In the classic era, it was London because that's where it was filmed. So it's a nice change to have something slightly different in terms of uh, Sheffield rather than London or Cardiff or another capital city, really? Well, I think uh, it was very clear from the Q&A that um, not Cardiff, uh, Sheffield will be uh, showing up um, numerous times in in the series coming forward. It is the, um, quote, home base for this series. And given all the characters are from Sheffield, it makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, I would assume there would be something similar to uh, to the Rose Tyler thing, where they were continually going back, um, and to a certain degree, the uh, Martha 
uh, and uh, Donna. But I mean, certainly all of those uh, Russell T. Uh, Davis characters kind of went back and forth um, to let's deal with the, the domestics and then let's go and run around in the TARDIS uh, around the universe. Um, so I think we're returning to that bit a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned reality and, and it's important for a show like this that can be fantastical and, and do and go anywhere that you do ground it in a in a bit of reality, and uh, on this occasion it's going to be Sheffield, and um, yeah, I have no problem with that. I don't know Sheffield myself, so um, nice to see bits of Sheffield <laughs> instead of bits of Cardiff. <laughs> it's a lovely place to wander through. I like Mark going up the hill through from the train station, but anyway, definitely it has more of that home base than the Moffat era did. Uh, Amy is lovely. People argue about Clara back and forth, but both of them were, to a degree, uh, unrealistic, unattainable type characters. In the, Karen Gilliam is just gorgeous. Um, she's supposed to be the girl next door, but that's uh, definitely a uh, must be a mansion next door or something. Cause she's definitely stunning. And um, Jenna Coleman is very photogenic, and certainly. Um, her character was the impossible girl, which was more than uh, reality. Um, whereas the Donna, Martha, and as well were more relatable characters uh, to the audience. Is um, so I think it's a good step to return to that kind of uh, relatable background. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, the the shots of Sheffield itself, you know, um, like you're saying the. The, the doctor stood on the hill sort of overlooking things uh, you know panning across uh, you see one of the two football stadiums in the in the city and very very nicely shot and directed by uh, Jamie Childs I believe yeah Jamie Childs I think did an excellent job it had a different look to the last season um, well the last several seasons with Moffat they all had the same kind of visual look to them the episodes. Uh, yes, there were special effects and everything, but how it was filmed certainly had the same appearance. And this one had more of um, uh, a scope. Uh, I love the shot when we just it, it was sort of flying over the city of Sheffield, and and when we went up on on the skyscraper to find the it, whatever it was, um, a transport device or, or what. The inf oh, it was like an information gatherer, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Um, the it thing, uh, the purple pod. How how about we describe it as that and put it up there? <laughs> when we found the purple pod up top, and then we just saw that view and everything, it, it, there was more of a cinematic look to it. And I think I think uh, I mean, Childs is a new, uh, relatively new director, and I definitely think he stepped up to to uh, putting a beautiful uh, view of it. Interestingly enough, I don't think the visuals of the episode versus that iconic matched. No, this was something uh, I picked up on, was that it was quite dark and gritty and certainly didn't uh, fit the bright and colourful iconic image that uh, had, had been released a few weeks ago. Yeah, I don't think they matched. None of them are wrong or bad or anything like that. They just didn't connect in in any manner i mean there were objects in the bright iconic image 
that were in the episode. Yes, mm. no problem. And there was the same purple. But this was a darker, grittier episode with more consequences and more... Uh, it wasn't a, as bright and cheerful as the episode as certainly the uh, iconic uh, implied. No, definitely not. Again, it goes back to that sort of gritty realism. Yeah, and your expectations. I think that added to your expectations, that iconic thing. And I actually did mention it um, to the production team, saying, I don't think they matched. I I must admit, when I was sitting in the episode for the first five, uh, ten minutes, I was a little bit... As you said, it didn't match the expectations that we'd been given before uh, in terms of the, the new the newness and the and the look and the feel and the color and whatever so it was a doctor who episode I, a doctor who episode that i enjoyed but those those images didn't match what i was seeing on the screen so my brain was catching up certainly when i saw it the second time um uh, just recently it's it's been oh okay i'm back in now all right um and i think that expectation uh caused a little bit of disassociation to start off with I think it goes back to my opening point of how it, my expectations were of something that was going to be bold and colourful, I suppose, but actually it was more gritty and darker and more like the Doctor Who that I probably wanted to see. <laughs> so you got what you wanted, but you were expecting it. So I got what I wanted, it. but I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> so um, let's let's have a let's talk about the monsters that we see. Um, obviously, we mentioned the sort of uh, info gathering CGI ball of uh, tentacles and whatever. Um, I mean, that was a, a fairly standard CGI creation, which yeah, you know, performed a performed a role. And uh, and then we had a, a sort of I don't want to say generic, but a standard uh, humanoid bloke in a suit some weird makeup with teeth in the face teeth in the face which was a bit gross just to try and break up the the humanoid element but um you know who it reminded me of it reminded me of the sycorax uh yeah a little bit yeah that same sort of feel so getting back to what i said in the preview um you you don't really want a, a a great villain in the first piece because it's not about the villain, and it's not about really solving that. You want a, a harmless thing that's easy to solve, in a sense, because the doctor has not got their brains in their head yet. You know, you want an eye in the sky, and to be able to scare them off by telling you them that you're the doctor, or as I was told, clockwork droids. I was thinking of the half. Anyway, clockwork droids uh, with the twelfth doctor or the you know the sycorax uh not really challenging uh pieces all their threats really didn't amount for much if you're going to put it into a top 10 of of doctor who monsters it's not going to trouble that sort of leaderboard but you don't want to break out your best monster in doctor who history in an episode which is going to be more about the doctor and the companions correct so, so it, it it serves it serves a purpose and was perfectly adequate in doing that and i think it will uh hit the gross factor for the kids with the teeth in the face and going ooh and all the other stuff so i i think i think it works and then the purple pod will appeal to some yeah i, I will mention the the mask 
sort of honeycomb pattern on that. I thought that was really good. I thought that was a really interesting design. It was just, uh, I think it lost me a bit actually when it took the mask off, but it it served its purpose. Yeah, and that's really what it was needed. You needed a monster there to 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 further the story along, but that was about it. Uh, it was really about the companions and the Doctor, which, getting back to everything that it said, it's uh, all new, but all familiar. <laughs> Indeed. But speaking of all new, we had a new Sonic. Now, I'm interested to know what you made of this, because uh, I didn't really... I'm, I'm perfectly happy for the Doctor to make her own Sonic. That makes a lot of sense. But in the context of the story and where the story was going and the peril they were starting to build, it seemed odd that she'd take a time out to make a sonic screwdriver. Although obviously she needed to in order to move on to tracking it and uh, hunting it down. It just, For me, it just slowed things up a, a tad. Well, I love the music that was happening, and it certainly fed a mood with it. Um, I like uh, I like where the curves come from, obviously from the Sheffield uh, spoon, uh, uh, the Sheffield steel spoon, which um, may not be familiar to a lot of people, but uh, if they're international, but it's a big iconic uh, image out of Sheffield. Um, so that's where the curves from. Um, but uh, the thing that took me out of context with it was how would she get all the information from the TARDIS in the thing when she doesn't have the TARDIS when you know there's no way that a torch uh, what is uh, what is that thing that she was using to make it um blowtorch blowtorch yeah. a blowtorch and a whatever would be able to make intricate detailed small minute things with stuff that she didn't have in her pockets which were empty from what we could gather um I think it would have been more realistic for her to have the previous Sonic around and her to make the new one in an, an episode where she actually had her brains together. And But um, it was, I, I, it certainly set a mood. And I just don't know if it fit right there in the episode. That's all. Yeah, I, I'm similar. I'm, I'm, just the timing of it seemed a bit odd. And again, we've had this idea of the TARDIS and the Sonic being connected in some episodes um, with you know the TARDIS presenting say the 11th Doctor with his Sonic, his new Sonic in some ways it's nice to go back to that detachment between the two important aspects of the show and obviously we'll get uh, to the TARDIS a bit later with with a cliffhanger but um, yeah the Sonic itself is a, is a necessary tool and um it yeah, just a bit odd how that fitted into the show. Whereas when she decided, well, it was decided for her rather that she needed a new outfit. It was after the adventure had wrapped up. Yeah, I I mean I love the sequence itself. Uh, that looked great. It didn't make sense. It just took me a little bit out of the the story. Uh, and that's the only thing I can say about it. Love the music, love the love the dynamics of it and all the other stuff. I guess because I'm an engineer, it took me a little bit out. Uh, it doesn't make, doesn't make sense how you would build it that way. A little bit more than most of the, the Doctor Who stuff, um, which I must admit, uh, learning too much about it doesn't help. 
Yes. Uh, for me, I thought there'd be, you know, more electronics in it, and you can't really do delicate no, electronics with a blowtorch. Do, that's but. why I'm sitting there. I'm just, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. How did you download the thing? Uh, all the, the other stuff. Um, more so than when she could program the, uh, reprogram the uh, phone in three clicks. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. It's not reality engineering, put it that way. <laughs> no, it's 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 alien uh, alien technology. <laughs> And engineering that we can't possibly understand. So correct. Yeah. We'll we'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, but uh, the costume scene as well was was quite nice. Where she was just in a in a charity shop. I mean, I challenge anyone to find that specific outfit in a charity shop. But it was different to uh, raiding the TARDIS wardrobe that obviously we've seen a few times, or <laughs> stealing clothes from a hospital as we've seen at least three times. Or yes, I think. Why do we always steal clothes from a hospital? Yeah, what? Three, eight, eleven. Yes. Yeah, so that's three. Yeah, I make. That's three make of them, three. right? But yeah, I make it three. Yeah, I can't think of any charity shops on the list. No, that's definitely a first. Yeah, so this is the first charity shop. I I like that idea because it makes sense why her her outfit is sort of ad hoc re- reflections of the past. Um, I still don't like the grey coat, but that's okay. <laughs> I, uh, well, I'm still struggling to work out what colour it even is. Is it? Is it? Is it grey? Is it? A... It's grey with a blue inside, and evidently it's supposed to match stars and something or other like that. Um, right. Okay. I just I would have preferred it to be that blue, the blue that's inside. I, I, I would have preferred it to be inside out. Right. Yeah. I just think it would have had a. Um, more of an impact, but then they're trying to make her look a little bit um, hoboish in terms of it's not all together. Mm. Uh, but I just think the blue that's in the inside would have had a better impact and the, the rainbow on the side. But that's just my fashion sense, which, which doesn't make any sense. Well, and it might be easier for all the cosplayers as well. Yeah, might be. And I don't, didn't think bow ties were cool, but I love the speech. <laughs> <laughs> so moving towards the end of the episode... We get the confrontation in the uh, construction yard on the two cranes, etc. You know, well shot, quite dramatic. I personally had a bad feeling about Ryan. <laughs> that little uh, stumble on the ladder, I thought, oh, this is this is hinting that things are not going to go well for Ryan. And having invested emotionally into his character, I was not looking forward to finding out what happened. But it turned out to be, spoiler here, Grace, who didn't make it through the episode. After we had thought everything was all solved. Because you'd sort of resolu- resolved it on, the, t- on the, the cranes. And they were kind of, yes, everything's done. And you'd all- and then you get the singer where Grace dies. Hmm. Yeah, you do sort of switch off a little bit because things were wrapped up as far as the top of the cranes went. But uh, uh, not, not on ground level. So that was the second character that died in here, uh, if you remember, um, and we've forgotten the the fellow who who stole the purple thing. Oh, and we had we had the uh, train driver as well, and also the security guard who was just talking to his his uh, granddaughter and ha- so thrilled that his granddaughter was calling him. Yeah, that was that was another one. Yeah, so it's quite a, when you put it together, it's quite a body count actually for an opening episode. Yeah, so I mean, the one that 
Grace and the and the the granddad, security guard, bothered me a lot. Um, it was sort of foreshadowing that. Um, and I can't remember the character's name. The the brother that uh, that died trying to find out what happened to his sister. Yes, and it's one of those where it's the fact that he dies without knowing what happens to his sister, which is kind of the most tragic part of, part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Grace dying. I was expecting her to be an ongoing, reoccurring character that we sort of like the Jackie Tyler of the series. Well, of course, there were newspaper rumours that she was going to be the new master and uh, things of that nature. But, you know, I mean, obviously, we'll wait and see. Anything could still happen. But given the focus was largely on the other three characters, it was quite clever in that I guess you didn't pay her too much attention unless she was on the screen. And the reason for that was you were going to get caught out when uh, the unthinkable did indeed happen. I think, um, well, they say that there's no thread running through this. I think that just means the plot is not going through it. But I think I think there's an ongoing thread going through the whole thing about how how these three characters relate to each other going forward. Well, I mean, we seem to have a clear link between that first episode and the next episode, so yeah, they are linking in a certain way, but maybe not in story terms, perhaps. Maybe not in an ongoing story arc, but they're certainly linking in episodes. I think losing Grace um, is going to be a catalyst in... Well, it obviously has to be a catalyst in the ongoing relationship between Ryan and Graham. Uh, they're going forward or not going forward easily when somebody loses uh, a um, the main uh, relating character it's easy to have the relationship break down between Ryan and Graham and they're not associate with each other anymore but the fact that they're now lost in space and the doctor is involved and etc there's going to be an ongoing discussion I would think um, and also, uh, Graham is not well, in a sense. He's in remission, which does not mean a cured cancer. That just means cancer is not currently, you know, growing. And uh, um, that, I think that was another thing that came about. I loved Grace's character. I like the fact that uh, she reminded me a lot of Donna, uh, except more so. Uh, somebody who's confident, capable, uh, but, you know, the older lady that was going off and, and, and enjoying and not giving up and not the end of the, you know, so, uh, and, and was driving everything forward. So I actually thought her character was brilliant um, and would have loved to see her going on in the TARDIS uh, forward. Knowing there was going to be the three um, and she wasn't going to be amongst it, that uh, uh, there was a logic to Graham joining the TARDIS to look after Ryan. And, you know, again, that's, that's another lovely thing to add to his character. But, um, I mean, maybe we'll see Grace, you know, uh, or her influence rather than the character you know, um, have an impact on the series. I think it's going to be fascinating if and when they do get to the TARDIS and Ryan and uh, Graham discover that it can uh, 
travel in time, you're going to get questions of, well, can you go back and save Grace? And that could open up another Father's Day type uh, episode, um, which would be very interesting for those characters in particular. Well, I think I think the other thing to, to say about the whole... He, he put a lot of elements on the table that will be easily expanded from. And I think there will be a lot of fun seeing more about these characters. Certainly they were likable. Um, certainly losing Grace is, is a big blow to all of them, two of them mainly, uh, watching, uh, and I think to the Doctor as well. If you saw her on the hill watching Ryan try again to ride the bicycle, I think that came in. She didn't run away. That was the other interesting aspect of it until the very end. But, you know, she wanted to find out where they were going. And usually the doctor's off. Whoops, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm leaving now. Um, and she did do that in the end. But I thought it was um, I thought it was telling that she wanted to know that these three were okay. Yeah, I think it's possibly similar to the first face this face saw that we had from Amy and the 11th Doctor. So, part of, yeah, there's always that feeling that companions that see a regeneration or are there post-regeneration have a connection to the Doctor, which is stronger than, than others. So perhaps that goes both ways. Perhaps the Doctor feels more of a connection or a stronger connection with these people just because they've been the ones to help her now uh, through uh, that trauma and so she feels it's only right to help them through their trauma yeah I think so certainly the implanting aspect of, of the doctor came up here yeah, not implanting um, imprinting thing that uh, Russell T Davis had in his uh, a writer's look was there it, it uh, I think that came up in this episode completely and the only other relatively new thing we haven't covered yet is the music, and we got a hint of the the new theme at uh, over the credits, uh, but obviously not a formal title sequence this week. Hopefully next week. In the Sheffield premiere, they played the whole theme. Oh right, okay. They did. Okay, it is brilliant. The da-da-da-dums are back and everything and Delia Derbyshire would be so pleased. <laughs> yeah, it definitely had a, a Delia feel to it. In fact, at the end there, because it was going on so long, you had people going in the audience. Okay, It was... It, he nailed it. Um, absolutely nailed it. He got me... I can't pronounce the gentleman's name. What? How? What is his name again? I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Segan Akinola. Akinola. Segan Akinola. Segan got it. He nailed it. It was perfect. And certainly when the doctor fell through uh, into the train uh, cabin. Yep, we got a hint of it there. You got a hint of it there. And when they were making the uh, sonic screwdriver, there was just a touch. And when she came out, it's there. Okay, so episode two, I'm not sure where we'll get it, but the Doctor Who theme is back, and he's got some really, really beautiful themes that show up. It's not as in-your-face as, as Murray Gold stuff, like, here's the music, you will feel this here. Um, 
but at various points in time there is some gorgeous gorgeous uh compositions that show up yeah it's interesting you say that because the music didn't jump out on me on my first watching mm-hmm. but when i went back again and was listening out for it 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 was it was flawless frankly um yeah. but that comparison with Murray Gold's, I mean, we had Murray Gold for a very long time, very talented composer. It's nice to get something fresh, but that subtlety was that it's not quite so in your face and trying to pull you in certain directions. Yeah, and I think actually my initial reaction of not noticing it is probably the best compliment because good incidental music you shouldn't notice. It should be subtle. It should carry you along with the story without forcing itself upon you uh, that's why i tried to write up it says i was just in a bit of mourning for the murray gold music because i do listen to i am the doctor and uh good uh, good man and uh, you know um not so much the 10th ninth doctor thing but those themes became really you know apparent and very much um, part of the the previous series, but you know, I think he's going. I think he's got it. He's going to be a star on this uh, on this uh, season. And most definitely, once I got past mourning it, uh, I'm definitely a fan. Yep, me too. Definitely. The only thing I was expecting that I didn't get really was the TARDIS. The TARDIS, and the we, TARDIS. we don't get the TARDIS. No TARDIS! <laughs> I got the feeling the TARDIS has annoyed the Doctor. He blew up my ship. He blew me up again. Get lost. <laughs> I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be frustrated too, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're going to regenerate, can't you do it quietly? You know, why have you got to make a mess everywhere? I'd, <laughs> I'd react in a similar way, I think. Leave now and don't come back. <laughs> you have messed up the the thing I've got to do house cleaning again. You could come and find me this time. Is really what it seemed like. Um, yeah, you're on your own this time. Deal with it yourself. <laughs> I th- I think possibly if that's going to be the direction that we go in, in terms of a a story arc of sorts. You know, we had the twelfth Doctor looking for Gallifrey. I think this will be the thirteenth Doctor trying to be reunited with the TARDIS and I think that's a nice way of doing it because you know the TARDIS is great and it obviously is your gateway to open up the stories you can tell but uh, it'll it'll be nice to see the Doctor without the TARDIS for a bit and see how that changes uh, the dynamic in terms of not having that safety net of being able to just jumping and fly away. Uh, my personal opinion is I think the TARDIS is just going to pick them up in the middle of nowhere. But I could be wrong. Or either that or else the spaceship for the for the, the next monsters. I don't know. Are they monsters or humans? Um, so, yes, definitely. Yeah, I got the impression the TARDIS was mad at the Doctor and told her <laughs> to get lost. And rightly so, perhaps. <laughs> so, I think overall... Uh, a fairly good first outing. Yeah, good first outing. Nothing to be frightened of. Uh, a lot to be happy about. Don't understand the iconic to the <laughs> to the show, but we'll live with that. And uh, other than that, 
we're just going to muddle on through and figure out where this doctor is going. If you are listening to this and you haven't watched the episode because, you know, you fear that it is dramatically different, uh, we can confirm that actually it is very much the same sort of thing, just with a different cast. That's what caught me off guard for a start. Same sort of thing. Everything that we love about the Doctor, different cast and giving us a bit more different stories with a different it, it's just to look at the same object from a different angle. Yeah, it's telling the same stories, using the same methods. It's just a, it's just a, a little bit different with a new interpretation on the same story. And that's what we want, really. Don't be frightened. No, don't be frightened. It's not that scary. <laughs> not that scary. Although the teeth thing is a bit weird. <laughs> okay, we'll leave the teeth thing as the last. That's the worst bit, I think. But, you know, it, it's it's psychological horror rather than actually seeing someone pull a tooth out of someone's head. Yeah, you didn't see it. That would have been a bit scary. No, I mean, that would have been past the watershed sort of stuff, but uh, no, we're not going in that direction. We're still Doctor Who. So, looking forward to the to the second episode now, because I'm invested in these characters, and I want to know where the story goes next, or where, where these four characters are going to go next, because they seem in trouble at the end of that episode. Definitely in trouble. All right. Oh, and I do think that means the cliffhanger is back. I think so. These might be individual episodes, but that one definitely had a cliffhanger. Reminded me of season 12. Yeah. Anyway, we'll go from there. Well, thank you very much, Susan. I shall talk to you again next week when we review The Ghost Monument. Definitely. Which is an intriguing title. And at time of recording, we've not seen a trailer. Fascinated to know where that episode takes us. Definitely. Most definitely. Thank you, Susan, and thank you, listeners, for checking out the Blog to Who cast. Don't forget, if you're new to the show, you can check out our archive on SoundCloud or on iTunes. If you are using the Apple Podcasts app, whilst there, feel free to leave us a five-star review, which will help other people to find the show. If you want to share your thoughts on The Woman Who Fell to Earth, you can tweet us on Twitter. We are at Blog to Who cast, or you can send us an email, email blogtohucast at dt-forum.com But until next time, it's goodbye for now. <laughs>